Hello, I'm Father Benedict Rochelle of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal in the South Bronx, and I want to welcome you to the fourth segment of our series on God the Father. Up until this time, we have been looking at the material world as a reflection of God, as a mirror of God. And we've also been looking at the idea of mystery, taking our cue from the great words of St. Paul, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how incomprehensible are his judgments and unsearchable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We're asking the question, who is God? And before we get to the answer in sacred scripture, which is the answer of divine revelation, the answer of God to that question, we have to look at what people were able to learn about God, so to speak, on their own. The study of philosophy or the study of wisdom. And if you're not familiar with philosophy, you will perhaps be astonished to learn what people could know about God from the things that he has made. I've already quoted to you the epistle to the Romans, St. Paul criticizing the philosophers of his time because they did not know about God. And he says, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible nature, namely his eternal power and his divinity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. And therefore, they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to them, to him. So St. Paul expects people not only to honor God, but to give thanks to him and to acknowledge his divinity from the visible things of the world. Now, St. Paul often took a dim view of philosophy. And those of you who are very familiar with the Bible will, you know, will know that every once in a while he, he, he takes a real swing at the philosophers. In Colossians 1, See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. What he's talking about there is philosophy made into a religion. And that does happen. I think probably he would say some things like this about some aspects of the New Age. But in fact, in, in very fact, there are people who without the sacred scripture came to know that there is one God. That this God is good, true, just and beautiful. And they learn this from the things of the world. It's an extremely interesting part of the history of religion. And only recently, in his monumental and splendid encyclical, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, Pope John Paul II has acknowledged, and acknowledged quite positively, the efforts of the Oriental philosophers of ancient times, as well as the Greek and Roman philosophers, to use their reason to come 
to some knowledge of God. And we're going to see very briefly today what they could know and what they could not know because it had to be revealed. For this reason, what they could know, the fathers of the church, the very early bishops and teachers of the church, used philosophy. And they used it well as a foundation for teaching the theology, the knowledge of God. Philosophy means love of wisdom. Theology means knowledge of God. Theologos. Now, it seems to me that most Christians in this country are doing very badly, including a lot of Catholics, that they don't know enough philosophy. Partially, it leaves them unprepared to defend themselves against a great many trends in contemporary philosophy which are anti-religious or at least hostile to the whole basic concepts of truth, goodness, and beauty which Christianity is built upon. We need to know some philosophy to be able to deal with it. Some of the worst things that were done in the 20th century were done by people who claimed to be philosophers. I think of Albert Rosenberg, who was so-called philosophy of the Nazis, and uh, all the terrible things that came from his writings. I think of Friedrich Nietzsche in the 19th century, and the people who followed him into nihilism and total unbelief, and a negative, totally negative attitude about life. I think of the economic philosophers who were influenced by him, particularly people like Marx, Engels, and eventually even Lenin. A, a lot of big, horrible mistakes have been made by people whose philosophy was wrong. And I want to tell you, if you're looking for the root cause of the moral difficulties, almost the moral collapse of the United States, all you have to do is look at philosophy. Philosophy can undermine a person's acceptance of faith. Many of you are devout people. You sent your children off to colleges that you thought were religious colleges and they came back unbelievers. Part of the problem was a lack of a solid Christian philosophy. Now let me get started with four of the greatest names. Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Pythagoras. Pythagoras was a mathematician, but he was also thrown off the island where he lived in Greece for believing that there was one God. These Greek philosophers who lived about 300 years before Christ apparently had no connection with the Jews at all. If they were aware of them, it did not affect their philosophy. The Jews were out in the desert, in the Near East, and they were coping as best they could, or sometimes not as well as they could, with God who revealed himself to them. The Greeks had no such experience. But the Greeks yearned. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, was put to death for teaching that there was one God who was true and good and beautiful. He was put to death. His two people that came from him, Plato, and then from Plato, Aristotle, 
created a whole philosophy of proof of the existence of God, of the goodness of creation, of the freedom of the human will, uh, of many, many things. And if, if you really want to be shocked, do you know that one of the most important and lofty and noble books of the New Testament uses the language of Plato. Now, those of you who know your stuff know that I'm talking about the prologue of the Gospel of St. John. Many Christians refer to Jesus as the Word. Greek, ho, logos. In our letters, L-O-G-O-S. And it means the Word. It can simply mean a word, like if, and, or but. But Plato used this word to express a mysterious philosophical concept. Uh, I can't go into it all. But that the word was God's expression of his whole inner being. That when God moved and did things, when he caused things to happen, they happened through his expression of himself, his Logos, his word. Plato went so far as to give a parable of a man who was born a slave in a cave. And these slaves in this cave were so chained that they never saw the sunlight. They could see the light coming down the shaft of the cave, and they were working there in the mine, but they never could see directly up into the sunlight. All they could see was shadows. And this man, born a slave, a young man, escaped from the cave. Now when he was a child, he'd see a particular shadow and he'd say, what's that? And somebody'd say, that's a man. What's that? That's a tree. What's that? That's a horse. And when he escaped up into the sunlight, he saw things in color, in depth, moving, dimensions, not just shadows. He says to somebody, what's that? He says, a horse. He says, well, what are you? He says, I'm a man. What's that? That's a tree. A whole new world of color, depth, beauty was revealed to him. And he went back down into the cave and he said to the other slaves, we've got to get out of here. This is crazy. You're living in a world of shadows. There's reality up ahead. Let's escape from this and go into the world of real things. And according to Plato, you know what they did to him? They killed him because they did not want to know the truth. They were caught by shadows. Interesting, isn't it? They killed him. Now remember, Plato was not operating on divine revelation, direct revelation. He's using his mind, his observation of people. The Greek philosophers made some big mistakes. But they also came to know some remarkable things. And in fact, when the Christian fathers of the church wrote, they used the philosophy of Plato as their foundation. The greatest of the Christian Platonists is the man who I like to quote, St. Augustine, my good friend. This is my book, Introduction to His Writings. But the other fathers did too, St. John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople, St. Gregory of Nyssa, all, all of the early fathers. And the, these people took philosophy 
and made it the servant of faith. They didn't abuse it. They didn't make it the slave of faith. They used to like to use the word anshala, that it was the handmaid of faith. I haven't said much about Aristotle because Aristotle wasn't known much to the fathers. At the time of the Crusades and the contact between the Muslims and the Christians, uh, they, were in, they were influenced by Aristotle. And it's St. Thomas Aquinas, the Dominican friar, who died in 1274, who baptized, you might say, simplistically, the philosophy of Aristotle, the proof of the existence of God, causality, motion, all kinds of fascinating ideas that he understood, the principles of thought, that the total cannot be more than the part, that every effect has a cause. These are basic building blocks of human thought, that something can be not be yes and no at the same time in the same way. And, and uh, St. Thomas quoted St. Augustine on almost every page. And this deeply affects modern life because modern science is built on the principles of Aristotle largely known through the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, now we get to the crunch here. Centuries and centuries after this, on the, after the time that the fathers of the church built up the Christian philosophy that eventually became the philosophy of the Middle Ages. And for the moment I'm leaving the Orient out because it's not part of European history, but over in the Orient, the philosophers were working very hard, the most famous of them being Confucius, but many others. Many ideas spread throughout the cultured world about what you could do with your mind when you searched for God. In the West, everybody influenced by the Greeks God is one, true, good, and beautiful. Right from Plato. It is not that God exactly is good. God is goodness itself. It's his very being. He doesn't have to get up and decide in the morning, I'm going to be good. Oh no. God is true. He is truth itself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. <coughs> God is beautiful in himself. Beauty comes from him. At the end of the Middle Ages, Christian philosophy went into decline. And I'm sorry to tell you that somebody who led it into decline was also a Franciscan like myself. His name was William of Ockham, an English Franciscan, and he died excommunicated during the Black Death. He was excommunicated for his opposition to the Pope and joining the emperor against the Pope. But that wasn't his big mistake. Occam, trying to deal with the coming of science, said that God, now listen to this, God has to decide what is good. He has to decide for us that stealing is wrong and honesty is good. And Occam said, to give him credit, He'd never decide the wrong thing because of his intelligence. 
But he had to decide it. It didn't come from the very nature of things. That God had to decide that it was just and good to be honest. He could have decided that it was good and just to be dishonest. Peculiar thoughts. And it became a, a, a contest of making God very arbitrary. Now, one of the thoughts that arose from this is that God could arbitrarily decide that a person was going to heaven or to hell before they were conceived. And in the complicated moments of his time, after the Black Death, after the atrocious tearing apart of Europe by war, especially the Hundred Years' War, in the midst of all of the scandals in the church, Martin Luther, who was an Augustinian monk, a monk of the Order of St. Augustine, latched onto the idea that God arbitrarily decided that this person was to be saved and this person was to be lost. Now, I'm not bombing Martin Luther with jet bombers here, but this is part of his thought. Uh, if you read the history of the times, you can understand why Luther was deeply scandalized and many of the other first Protestants were as well. Many of the people who remained loyal to the Catholic Church were also very upset and scandalized. In fact, uh, Luther was deeply influenced by a devout laywoman, Catherine of Genoa, who got the Augustinian order working on the reform of the Church. Now let me show you something now. Luther, Calvin say that God, Calvin said much the same thing, God arbitrarily decides who is saved, who is lost. Calvin said even if God decided you were saved, you could lose it by misbehavior. Very quickly, the kings of Europe said, who's going to decide what is right and wrong? If we get rid of the Pope, the Pope and the bishops were the interpreters of Scripture, at least theoretically, they never decided what was right and wrong. They based it on the study of Scripture, the studies of the words of Jesus, the study of the fathers of the church. They were those who passed on a tradition. But the kings of Europe, especially King Henry VIII, said, I will decide what is right and wrong if God hasn't made it eminently clear. And for this reason, Mark, uh, Henry VIII could decide that he was free to marry, although he was already married to Catherine of Aragon. One of the German princes who had left the Catholic Church decided he was going to have more than one wife. And without any great enthusiasm, Luther said that he could do that based on the Old Testament. And, and it was a very, very disturbing thing at the time. It was meant openly was polygamous. Now, I'm not saying that Luther liked it, but he said it could be done because the sovereign could make such a decision. As time went on, the kings lost their great authority. And then who decided who was right and wrong? The people. Because God hadn't decided what was right or wrong. And in the United States, we can't have so many people, we're not like Switzerland where everybody can go downtown and vote. And it wasn't all the people in Switzerland until very recent times only men voted. 
In the United States, when it first started, only men with property really voted. Uh, that's who they meant by the people. Women didn't vote for a hundred years until a hundred years ago. But these decided what was right and wrong. And in the United States, they had a system called the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided what was right and wrong. All because of the mistake of William of Ockham. Because Ockham said that God had to decide what was right or wrong. It wasn't from the nature of things. It didn't flow out of the very nature of existence. All the fathers of the church would disagree profoundly with that. And they would say that God himself is goodness. God is justice. And if he hasn't revealed something, we try to discern prayerfully, following the scriptures, how something fits with what he has already decreed, or what we know from nature, from the natural law, that stealing is wrong, that murder is wrong. These are things that are written on the hearts of men, that they're known. You have the horrible experience in the United States of slavery. Human beings put into slavery. In 1435, Pope Eugene put a permanent excommunication on anyone who enslaved the person because of their race. This is one of the first Europeans ran into people of the black race in the Canary Islands. That excommunication has never been lifted. To enslave a person because of race is absolutely wrong. How could you enslave a person? The only way you could do it is the person was a prisoner of war and had a choice of being killed or being a slave, well, they could take that for a while. I'm not saying the Christians always obeyed this, but this is the law on slavery. In 1858, a slave escaped, and he sued the United States for his rights. His name was Dred Scott. And the, civil, and the United States Supreme Court made its almost worst mistake. In the Dred Scott decision, it determined not only that a slave had no rights, which was unlike slavery in other places. In New Orleans, where they had the Spanish slave law, slaves had rights. They couldn't be re removed from their family. They, their marriages could not be broken up. They had a right to religious instruction. And they had to be paid on Sundays and holy days in money so they could eventually buy their freedom if they worked on a Sunday or holy day. Very different. When slaves were sold out of New Orleans, they were sold down the river, it was that. That was bad enough. But in the United States, and the rest of the United States, slavery was horrible. And the Supreme Court, in its decision, made it worse. And it even extended slavery to the states that were against slavery. And saying that a police officer who arrested a slave in New England, for instance, or New York, had to return that slave to the South. And by doing so, the Supreme Court caused the Civil War. It took unto itself the opportunity to decide something against the divine will. You see where I'm going? Right now, the whole idea of a good, just, eternal, beautiful God is undermined by legislation, not only in the United States, but in many countries, legislation 
that an unborn child is not a human being. To the psychotic, insane extent that a viable child in the womb can be destroyed in a hideous way. Or that a viable child who would live can be killed in the birth canal. Because the Supreme Court has taken to itself the right to decide what is right and wrong. But God is not mocked. Oh no. The old pagans had a saying, the religious ones, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceeding fine. One of the reasons that people have difficulty with religion in the United States is that they rebel against the idea that God has a law. God's law is not arbitrary. It is not distinct from his being. God is true. And you know this about the truth. If something is true, you can lie about it. You can change it. You can deceive people with it. You can qualify it. You can pretend it's not there. But when you get all finished, it's still true. We can, as the Hebrews did of old, distort the knowledge of God. They put up maypoles and shrines and things like that to the pagan gods. Didn't change God. And neither will we change God. In our next segment, which I hope you will see, we're going to talk about the goodness and beauty of God. And living in a great big worldly city like New York, as I do, I'm constantly astonished by the number of deeply religious people in this city, by the immense number of people who are interested in religion, despite its worldliness, because God is, and he is true, and he does not change, and he always is calling to the hearts and minds of all his children whom he has created. Amen.
Hello, I'm Father Benedict Rochelle of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal and from the South Bronx and I want to welcome you to the fifth segment of our series on God the Father. As we've gone along we've looked at what we can tell about God from the material universe as revealed in the science of astronomy, physics, what we can tell about God from the philosophers, particularly from the Greeks. And now we turn to God who speaks, to God as we know him through his own direct revelation to people, apart from the revelation that he makes of himself in the material world. You'll recall that St. Paul says that we can know the invisible things from the visible ones. But now we're going to look at God's Word, his mysterious openness to people, his calling to people. I should tell you that many people in the ancient world hoped that God was calling, and they tried to find out what he was saying. Plato says that we go through life hoping that there is another existence after this life, but we would have to have a revelation of God to be sure. That revelation of God actually was going on in Plato's time, but he didn't know about it, couldn't tell it, because God was not revealing himself to the philosophers, but to a poor group, a Bedouin, a Bedouin nation living in the wilderness, trying to eke out an existence, trying to get their own land. By this time, they had established a kingdom. Uh, they had a history. And we think of that history perhaps in larger terms than it really was. The Jewish people before the time of, of Christ, or particularly before the time of the Maccabees, were not major players in the history of the world. The events we see recorded in the Old Testament in the Jewish Bible are magnificent in the messages that they give us, but in terms of them being a very integral part of the history of the ancient world, that's not quite in perspective. Nevertheless, God revealed something, and he revealed it to the Jews, and it was something that nobody else knew about him. The Greek philosophers, then the Romans, the Eastern philosophers like Confucius, they knew about God that he was fecund, that he was generous, that he was magnanimous, because nature is. They also knew he was mysterious because nature can be very capricious. It, it, it can give you good messages and then give you bad ones. It can bring beautiful days and it can bring thunderstorms and cyclones. It can bring magnificent crops, and it can bring drought and death. And so, the, the ancient peoples were puzzled about this God of creation. But the one people who knew so much more about him were the Jews. And here we have the religious history of the Jews up to the time of Christ which Christians call the Old Testament, 
Jewish people don't call it that. They call it the scriptures. And we share this, at least the first five books of the Bible, with the Muslims too. They have the Torah of the first five books. Now, God showed to these people, to the Jews, something that none of the Greeks ever suspected. And that was that God was merciful. Merciful? The Greeks thought of mercy as a weakness of the mind. Nature is not merciful. Nature can be bounteous, but it is not merciful. You make a mistake with nature, and nature will pay you back. You corrupt a river, you destroy fields, you cut down forests, you've done a damage that is not undone. You may be sorry you did it. God may forgive you for doing it. But nature never forgives. Nature is relentless. It has no ability to back up. And this led to, in the ancient world, not only among the Greeks, but among the Goths, among the peoples of the forests, among the traditional religions, say, in Africa today or in the rainforests. God is seen as punitive, just, but punitive, and someone that you don't fool around with, because he is not merciful.